0: Good morning. You know, the passage they read to you from Exodus 15 is one of my, pas- my favorite passages. And as a matter of fact, they stop just one verse short. Because the next verse, verse 3, says, The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. I love that. I told somebody uh, just today, uh, your missions committee, Rick. Uh, chairman of the missions committee. I'm Irish. And Irish are only known for two things. They're known for drinking whiskey and for fighting. And since I don't drink whiskey, all I got left is fighting. And so I love the passage that I'm going to share with you today. If you want to take your Bibles, turn to Judges, the sixth chapter. Judges, the sixth chapter. And we're going to talk about that some things are just worth fighting for. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that or where you thought, maybe I shouldn't. But I'm telling you, some things are just worth it. Do we have this? Uh, oh, there we go. Up on the screen, you see, uh, isn't that a handsome couple? Uh, 20 years ago, they got married. Now, you guys don't know who they are. You guys don't really know me all that well. But this is my best friend in the world, Park Blair. Isn't that a cool name? Park Blair. He has one green eye and one blue eye. Park is a restaurant owner in Houston, Texas. We have been friends, seriously, since we were... Bef- uh, before we went into first grade. So I'm 56, 52 years. He's been my best friend. That's his wife, Sylvia, there beside him. And actually, uh, here's a recent picture uh, of Park and Sylvia. They're a great couple. We get to see them in two weeks. We're real excited about that. We love these guys. We just love them. And Park and Sylvia, when they were dating, Park was over at Sylvia's house. And Sylvia, uh, you really can't tell it in, in either of the picture, but Sylvia's only about five foot two. She's just a little petite thing. And she had been involved in a relationship prior to Park and her being married, and <clears throat> she had had a child with, in that relationship. And the guy was 6'10 and a Division I basketball player. Park said he was a mountain man. And one time, Park was over at Sylvia's house visiting with her and he heard a ruckus on the front porch. This man, the father of this child, had come over and was just out there reading Sylvia, the riot act. And I mean, in her face and just chewing her out. And Park, now I need to tell you a little bit about Park. Friends, 52 years. I've gotten more trouble with this guy's mouth than in my own mouth. Park doesn't know when to back down and when to shut up. And there's no one in the world that can teach Park when to back down and when to shut up. So this guy here opens the door, and he says, what's going on out here? And that big 610 guy says, this has nothing to do with you. You shut that door and get back in the house. And Park took like two giant steps and stepped right, and he's right at, up at Sylvia and stepped right in between them. He said, I looked up at him. said, so you can beat up Sylvia? Not this day. And he told me that story, and he said, you know, Mike, some things are worth fighting for. I want to tell you guys, some things are just worth fighting for. I don't know why God has put it sometimes in men's hearts that they should sometimes have battles that uh, would be best if they didn't. But we have it in us. Uh, some people say it's testosterone. I don't know what it is. But some things are worth fighting for. And Judges, the sixth chapter, and you guys just need to look at this passage. This is a powerful passage because it's a story of Gideon. Now, you guys know about Gideon, You know about Gideon and his uh, great uh, victory against the Midianites, and it starts really at the first part of Judges chapter 6. In verse 1 of uh, Judges 6, it says, Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now I'm going to try to pull out a couple of things here. Uh, There are some things worth fighting for. There are some people you don't fight against, and it's God, okay? (laughs) They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Now, the Midianites were actually of Hebrew heritage. Midian was a son of Abraham's second wife. Did you guys know Abraham had a second wife? All right, trivia time. What was the name of Abraham's second wife? Did someone say it? Oh, you guys are too afraid. Keturah. Abraham and Keturah had Midian. But Midian did not follow the ways of God, and so the Midianites are coming against Israel with another group of people, and a lot of those in the Eastern uh, uh, world, the Amalekites and the Midianites and others, scripture tells us from the Eastern world, are coming against them. And so then, let me just skip ahead just a little bit uh, to verse 11. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under an oak in Ophrah. Now, if you have a vision of an angel that I have, isn't it funny to think some cherub being with a halo over their head just sitting under an oak tree? But messenger or, or angel also means messenger. So this probably was some kind of a man that belonged to Joash the Abazarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, Let me me tell you a little bit about this. That that is a wine press that would have been in ancient Israel. It wasn't uh, like some of the wine presses you may have seen pictures of today because they actually stomped the grapes in order to make wine. And so all the wine or the juice from the grapes would run down into this lower pit. Now, (sighs) Gideon is not making wine. Gideon is thrashing, or threshing. Now, what that is is separate the kernels of the wheat from the chaff. Now, the reason that he's down here doing this is because every year the Midianites, because Israel had done evil in the eyes of God, the Midianites and the Amalekites, God removed his protection from them. What a terrible place to be in our lives. Unprotected. And so the Amalekites and Midianites would come in among the Jews and they would just steal everything. They would take everything they had. So here's Gideon, down in this thing, threshing threshing wheat because he was afraid. This isn't a brave man. He doesn't want anyone to see him doing this. And so this messenger appears and look at what he says in verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. How do you look down in this and Gideon hiding and say, You're a mighty warrior? And Gideon said, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Now, I need to stop here just for a second because when I was reading this text, I thought, how many times have I asked that question? How many times have I said in my life, God has been with me, God has been with me all of my life. I have so many blessings. Seriously, I don't know how to count them all. Living in a great nation. Married to a beautiful wife. And I know many of you right now are saying, seriously, I thought that was your daughter saying, not your wife. Ask my wife. God has been so good to us. Blessing upon blessing. But yet, sometimes, when the pressure gets great in my life, I ask the same question that Gideon just asked. How can you say God is for us? Where is he? And he goes on to say, well, he saved all of uh, Israel from Egypt, but where is that God that delivered him? Where is he? I don't think he's remembering back verse 1. They had done evil in the eyes, and God had just removed his blessing from their life, his protection from their life. So where, where are his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the hands of Midian? The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And Gideon said, how can I save Israel? Now, I love this. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. He's a chicken. Gideon really is a coward. If you don't believe me, look on over at verse 27. Now here he has been commanded to tear down an Asherah pole. This is a wooden pole that has been placed and God has said, tear, uh, it's as an idol, and God has said, tear that thing down and burn it. And so Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him, but because he was afraid, of his family and the men of the town, he went out at night rather than in the daytime. And if you go on to read that section of the passage, you'll find out that Gideon actually had to have his dad step in and and say, Don't worry about it, because you know Baal can take care of himself. And so they actually changed Gideon's name at that point, and his name, new name that they gave him, Literally meant Jereel Baal meant Baal will will deal with him. Has God ever come up to you and asked you to do something you were just afraid to do? Sometimes, I at least think, that sometimes God sees in us what we don't see in ourselves. I'm telling you, that's true in my life. There are so many things I think, God, please don't ask me to do it because I'm just not that good, I'm not that brave. But God sees what we don't. And God went to Gideon and he said, I'm going to be with you now. They'd done evil, God had removed his protection, now he's come back and said, I'm going to give it to you again. I've, I think I've preached here three times. I'm getting to know a lot of you guys. And there are many of you that mean a great deal to me, but all of you, I want you to hear this. God wants to give you his favor but in that process we need to trust that he is a warrior the Lord is a warrior the Lord is his name now with this sometimes we see things or we don't see things in us that God can see or bring out of us now one of my favorite passages really is reflected over that Into Matthew 16 if you want to turn over to Matthew 16 you guys know this story too it's about verse 16 uh, Matthew 16 16 and in that passage he's talking to Peter and he's saying you know what do people say who do people say I am and Peter said well some say this some say that but who do you say I am Peter he said well I think you're the Christ the son of the living God blessed are you Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed to this but but my father in heaven and now, you take that, and you take that message out, and the gates of Hades, the NIV says, I like some of the other versions, of King James, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, is what the King James says. And I've always liked that passage. Now, when I was a kid, uh, anyone recognize that picture, by the way? Oh, you got to recognize, yeah. You got it, Fort Snelling. There's a picture of Fort Snelling right here in the Twin Cities. That's what I thought Matthew 16 was talking about, that the church could get inside that, get inside these protective walls, and the world couldn't hurt us because God's given his protection. But that's not what this passage is talking about in Matthew 16. Again, sometimes I'm afraid to talk to people, family and friends about Jesus Christ. And so I want to get inside the church, I want to get inside the walls of the fortress, and I want to be able to protect myself. And so when Satan fires those arrows at us, is bouncing off the walls, and I've got a cannon in there, I can return fire sometime and take a few of them out, that kind of thing. But that's not, that's not what the story is all about. What the story is all about uh, is really this. Have you guys ever, anyone know what that is? Pretty obvious, isn't it? Isn't that a beautiful creature? You know, some of you may have these as pets. Matthew 16 really is about The porcupine, see a porcupine thinks that it's not a good defense necessarily that you have to have. Porcupines are actually very, very slow. And an animal can catch them. And so a porcupine will turn away from its enemy, doesn't face its enemy. You see all those things kind of go back, kind of like my hairline. You know, just comb it back, and then when something comes up behind it, they kind of look like this. That poor puppy. (laughs) Now, I wonder if that dog has to be told that the best defense is a good offense. (laughs) This is what God is about. That we go and find people that are captives. We're not in a fortress. Matthew 16 says, The gates of hell shall not prevail against it we're the ones that are the aggressors we're the ones with a battering ram because there are people like those in the concentration camps in world war ii that are caught in awful circumstances and we bang the doors down people said i don't want to hear about your god you're going to hear about my god because your life's a mess and the only way you're going to come out of that is if you accept jesus christ well i'm not going to go to church i'm coming by your house to pick you up anyway be bold. The the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Because some things are worth fighting for. You know it? What's real interesting if you, uh, let's get back to the story of Gideon here. Uh, Gideon's story, the the math doesn't work for me. Now, if you were to look over in the 8th chapter, you would see, because you have to add up, that actually the Midianites and Amalekites and some of the Eastern, you don't need to do that now. Check me later. But it says 15,000 were still standing and uh, 120,000 at that point had been slaughtered by the battle I'm about to tell you about in a few minutes. So the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern, they have 135,000 soldiers. Now, you keep reading in Judges 6, you find out that Gideon has 32,000 soldiers. What? In in equity, in fighting. As a matter of fact, I did the math here just to help you guys out. 135,000 to 32,000 is 4.2 to 1. Uh, That is almost one-on-five basketball, for those of you who, I I watched your video. You know, Andy's playing pool in the video, and then Andy... uh, He picks up the basketball. So, Andy, I assume you're a great basketball player, probably 360, jams, all that stuff. That's Andy playing five of you guys. Now, you guys know Andy. He's leading youth. And if I were to ask you, and I'm not going to, five of you would kill Andy in basketball. One on 5 We'd kill him. It's not because Andy's bad. The odds are against him. And God says, (laughs) kind of. In Judges six, God says, "Gideon, you got a, you got a numbers problem." And Gideon said, "Remember, wine press. He Asher's pole at night. He's afraid." Gideon says, "Man, God, I am so glad you noticed that, because yeah, God says you got way too many people." Have you ever seen that uh, that bit by Bill Cosby with Noah? And Bill Cosby, whoopah, whoopah, whoopah noah i want you to build an ark right gideon i want you to go but not with that many what are you talking about how do you play basketball i can't even play four in one let alone play swords 4.2 to 1 so he says you got to weed them out so here is something that's really incredible and i want to mention something about this in a second it's really incredible Gideon stands up and he said, listen guys, God said too many of you, so if any of you are afraid, any of you want to go home, be with your wives, you can go. 22,000 walked away. Now, according to the math, it's now 13.5 to 1. Football season's coming up. I suspect Andy's a great football player, and now it's 13 of you guys we'll even toss a couple out it's 11 on 1 football you got a full team Andy's won what are the chances of Andy beating you guys in football 0% that seems to be the consensus over here Andy maybe you're not very good in football I don't know 13 to 1 and God says still have too many Now, the text says something very important. He says, those, take them down to the water, and those who just bend over and lap like a dog are going to be gone. But those who cup the water and bring it to their mouths, they're going to stay. Now, there's a reason for that. I've heard people say that the reason for that is because a good soldier always watches what the enemy's doing. This isn't about being a good soldier. This is about following the leader. Because later... Gideon's going to say, when they get in front of the Midianites, watch me, because he knows these guys will watch them. But they narrow it down to 300, and now the odds are 450 to 1. And he's not beaten anybody at anything at 450 to 1. Nothing. It's amazing the math doesn't work. But here's another point I just want to tell you about this. I love this passage. How many, who wants to leave? 22,000 go, 10,000 stayed. Now, I, I, I just need to tell you guys here for a second. I think about this with myself. Had I looked at 135,000 soldiers down in the valley, and had I looked around and saw that we only had 32,000, and someone said, my general, who's a chicken, a coward, says, If you want to go, go ahead and leave. I wonder what I would have done. But more than that, I wonder if I would have been, we're just losing 22,000. The odds are now 13 and a half to one. But I'm staying. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Someday I'm going to rewrite this sermon, and the title of it's going to be 10,000 Stayed Against Impossible Odds. I'm telling you, militarily, that's a suicide mission. I want to ask, against insurmountable odds, are you willing to stay? Are you willing to stay? Are you willing to say, I think my life is going to be taken here, but what I'm fighting for is right? There's some things just worth fighting for. You see, victory is not what determines whether a man should fight. It's the cause that should determine whether a man will fight. You know, anybody. I mean, professional football teams will play high school teams. We're going to win all the time. But that's not what professional football teams are for. God wants us to fight. Now, are there people to fight for? I took, uh, just took this off the internet. These little babies in the Philippines, now, I'm proud of this because we have a graduate in the Philippines. Not, not a US citizen, Australian, came to Crossroads College, graduated, and went to the Philippines. Coming back next semester, by the way, to teach in our missions department. Because he knows some things are worth fighting for. And the souls of these babies are worth fighting for. There's been a lot of controversy in our state. And I don't need to go into specifics. You know what the specifics are. But let me tell you what the real battle is. It's not over legislation. It's not over a liberal agenda. It's over whether this book is true or not. And if this book isn't worth fighting for, then we all ought to go out and get white flags and just give it up. Because you know, some things are worth fighting for. Now, you guys are actually very lucky, because apparently you have a preacher we're fighting for you. He's getting training here. Does he carry that thing to the pulpit? That's your preacher, my friend Jim Connor. I think you guys have bang bang times around here, don't you? That's cool because we were meant to learn how to not fight like that but to fight for things god has given us that kind of spirit god has given us that kind of power look at this next picture does anyone recognize anybody there i just got this off the internet anyone recognize anybody there you know what that picture is do you recognize somebody that's a picture at Andover High School. Who's fight? You can actually see it clear back in that TV. Who's fighting for those kids? Who is? If you're not, I'll tell you, Satan is. And he's also a formidable foe. The odds are against believers going into that high school if it's like the statistics in Rochester High School I don't care if they're 450 to one we don't fight because we think we can beat everybody up we fight because our cause is just. Now this really uh, this really cracks me up um, let, oh by the way I did want to say one other thing about the fight here I'm so proud of this girl that I, and not this girl. Uh, I'm so proud of the girl that's ministering to her. If you could read that, and I, I think you can. Uh, last time she was arrested was October 18th of last year. Uh, prost- that prost is prostitution. So here's a 25-year-old girl. Her name is Heidi. Don't know her last name. Uh, she has seen the warning. She has been arrested ten times in Portland, Oregon. One of our graduates, Liz Alston, is in Portland, Oregon, saving young ladies from the sex trade industry. And I wonder if Heidi's one of the ones she's been fighting for. She got legislation changed. Do You know, in Portland or in Oregon, as it says up there, prostitution, a misdemeanor. You know, for a child that was uh, underage, For a baby, 12 years old, 13 years old, if someone went up and hired that 13-year-old prostitute, it was a misdemeanor in Oregon. Had they not hired her, had they just uh, taken advantage of her, it is statutory rape, it's a felony. But because she's a prostitute, Liz Alston worked hard on the legislation and got the law. The the vote failed the first time and she worked and worked and worked and now in Oregon, it is a felony for someone to buy sex from a child. A juvenile. Who's going to fight for Heidi? Well, I'll tell you, Liz Olson is, and got the law changed to support it. Now, here's the funny thing about all of this. Gideon you read on the story and my time's getting short so I want to finish this up Gideon says guys watch me and they gather around the Midianites and they're all watching and what he does is he gives each of them a light in a vase and a trumpet he says now you know they're following the chicken the the coward Gideon And he says, when I give the command, watch me, do what I do. That's what good leaders say, by the way. They don't say, do as I say, not as I do. Good leaders say, do what I do. You follow me, because I'm going the right place. And Gideon breaks. He says, I'm going to break this thing and have this light, and I'm going to sound this trumpet. Now, as near as I can tell what this strategy is, to blow a trumpet and shine a flashlight in their eyes. There are 300 of us, and that's your plan, Gideon? That's your plan? But it's not about military strategy. It's about a mighty God. You'll see later, by the way, they do that, and the Midianites start killing each other. They're so panicky. It's an incredible story. And you see later that he takes his 300 men and they're pursuing them as they run. He didn't lose a man out of this. As a matter of fact, one of the incredible verses for me out of this is the 7th the chapter, the 21st verse. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying as they fled. They stayed their post. A hundred and thirty-five thousand people are right in front of them, pulling out swords, screaming, yelling, swinging them. They stood their ground. Christians, stand your ground. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. We have the right message. It's not by military strategy. It's about a mighty God. Now I put this slide in here because I want to tell you a story. It's not my story. It's a story that comes from Uh, Southland Christian Church. John Weiss is the preacher there. He preached a sermon, uh, uh, oh, about six years ago or something like that, whenever it was that uh, Sunday uh, fell on Christmas. Southland Christian Church is a congregation of about 9,000, 7,000, something I mean, you get up to that many. Who's counting anymore? Well, preachers. But anyway, so on Sunday, the board, not John, but the board decides we're not going to have Sunday morning worship. Christmas, on Christmas, we want people to do something special. And it, boy, they got all kinds of criticism for that. John said, you wouldn't believe the emails and the uh, things that are just unchristian things are saying. You know, How could you in the day of Christ's birth? But what they didn't realize is John had said, go and not come to church, but go in the community and be the church to people who do not have Opportunity to know Jesus. Let's go to them instead of expecting them to come to us. Go out and do ministry. And it was so incredible because he said one story was there's a, a couple that go into a restaurant and they're sitting down at breakfast and this young man's waiting on them and said, Where do you go to school? And he said, Where he went to school, at UK, there in Lexington. And he said, uh, Why aren't you at home for Christmas? One of the church members. He said, Ah, uh, my car's broken down. You know, it, it takes money to get gas. Car's broken down anyway. I can't get there. My old car's a piece of junk, and we've got to save money because my parents are saving every dime in order for me to go to college. It's been very sacrificial. I can't fix the car. They can't afford to come get me, so I'm just staying here, and I need to work anyway because I really need the money. And the guy reached in his pocket, pulled out his car keys, and he sat them down on the table, and said, My car's out in the parking lot. Get in that car and go home and be with your family at Christmas. And the young man said, I can't borrow your car. That, that, you know, that wouldn't be right. He said, you're not. I'm giving you my Alky in the parking lot. Go get in your car and go home. People are criticizing for not having worship service when they're being the church. Well, this story was especially cool to me because there's a little girl I think she was like nine or ten years old John said in his sermon he said this little girl doesn't know what she can do but she gets a brownie mix and she makes or several brownie mix she makes a bunch of brownies and she takes them to the University of Kentucky campus and she takes a little card table with her and she sets it down and she gets a chair up and she puts all these brownies out and she puts a little sign in front says free brownies (laughs) so people walk by and said what's up she goes Merry Christmas, have a brownie. That's all, that, that was her big idea. Merry Christmas, have a brownie. And so a guy's reading a book, and he's walking by, and he hears this little voice, hey, Merry Christmas, have a brownie. Guy stops, and he's Muslim. He looks at her, and he goes, what are you doing? It's Christmas, I made brownies, I want you to have a brownie. Merry Christmas. He goes, why are you doing that? Get this, 10 years old. She goes, because Jesus is my savior and he's changed my life. Isn't that cool? This guy goes, where do you go to church? Southland Christian Church. I got some information about it. You want it? He goes, yeah, I'd like to see that. So she gave him some information about Southland. The guy goes and John Weiss meets with him as a visitor there. This is a PhD Muslim student at the University of Kentucky and John said two months later there are 10 Muslim PhD students sitting in Southland Church listening to the gospel because a little girl knew the Lord is a warrior the Lord is his name I don't care what the odds are we need to really ask ourselves the last question my point who are we fighting for because somebody needs you to fight for, be his warrior. Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you for giving us strength and power and your might. Forgive us when we're afraid. <coughs> Forgive us when we don't respond as we should. God, you are a warrior. The Lord is your name. So in your might, in your power. I pray a blessing on the Andover Church right now. As they leave this place, oh God, give them strength and power and boldness because you're a warrior and almighty God is your name.